0: brand builders and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. in all of us. Let's dive in. Hey visionaries, welcome back to another episode. This might be one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded because the enthusiasm is high, the energy is on point, and I am interviewing a drink maker, a coffee cocktail author, a very smart entrepreneur, and his name is Ryan Castelez. I met Ryan when I randomly flew to Utah for a retreat for visionary entrepreneurs. I didn't know who was going to be there, but shout out to my friend Brandon Fong, who organized it, and he curated 12 or 14 incredible humans in this mansion in Park City, Utah, and we hung out, and we adventured, and we talked about our visions, and how we want to change the world, and it was pretty epic. And late on the first night, Ryan walks through the door and he is full of energy. And throughout the weekend, what unfolded for us was that he is this visionary drink maker and his drinks have actually been enjoyed across the country from New York City to Seattle. And he has written this book called The New Art of Coffee from Morning Cup to Caffeine Cocktail. And What was so inspiring about Ryan is that he literally took what you knew about coffee, flipped it on its head and challenged you to think outside of the box about the way in which we experience coffee, the way in which we dine out and what we see and taste and textures And the littlest things, like what glass something is served in and what temperature and what is the little dusting on top and what's the coaster underneath and what's the lighting like when you drink this cocktail. Oh, his level of delivery is inspiring. And, you know, over the course of the three days, It was almost like his passion for coffee and cocktail making was infectious because all of us left with this new appreciation and this new vision for how we wanted to choose our dining experiences. And I just am so fascinated because this was the first time I got to hear his full story about how he actually launched his very first coffee shop called Discourse and the challenges he faced as a young 20-something who really didn't have much business opening a shop but deciding, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work through any of the barriers and objections that I have, being inside of a mall, not knowing what I'm doing. Will people appreciate how crazy these drinks are or will they just wanna go back to Dunkin' Donuts and get a basic freaking coffee for a dollar? So it's really cool to hear about Ryan's evolution. He opened his first coffee shop in Door County. Now they are in Milwaukee. So if you're ever in the areas, go check out Discourse Coffee. And today Ryan is not simply behind the counter making drinks, he's actually empowering his team to think outside of the box. They launch four new drinks every single month. He's training baristas and bartenders all over the world on the aspects of coffee and cocktail service. And he's teaching managers how to become better leaders. He's consulting coffee shops and bars and restaurants, how to actually fine tune their concepts And start with a vision because that's what Ryan did. And he talks about that in today's episode that the vision was so clear. He didn't know how he was going to achieve it. No clue. (laughs) But when it's there, you just make it work. You put money on the line, you put time and energy on the line. And the rest is history. So in July 2017, he opened up his very first coffee shop, Discourse. And since then, he has been featured on TV. He had a television program in Wisconsin Foodie. He's been in print magazines. Like I said, he has his brand new, well, I guess it's not so new anymore. Well, kind of actually, his book, The New Art of Coffee. And he tells you where to get that at the end, uh, but it is widely distributed And I mean, just to give you some context, Ryan was making drinks for us, mocktails, at this retreat, and he was mixing in a pine needle infusion that he found on his hike. And he was using plum pits to flavor our drinks. And then he was serving them out of carved out squashes. It was whack, you guys. Like, (laughs) I was laying in bed last night just thinking you know, here I am hosting the Visionary Life podcast. The true visionary is Ryan Castellez because he dreams on a whole other scale. And I pulled out my phone and I texted him and I just said, thank you for pushing me to realize that I was dreaming small and my vision isn't big enough. And the way in which you're taking liquid storytelling and making it an industry is just so badass. So I could go on and on, but I think what we'll do is get straight into today's episode. If you want to find Ryan and his work, he's on LinkedIn, Ryan Casteles, discourse.coffee, uh, or you could just search his name into Google. So that's it. Enjoy the episode and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey, Visionary. I want to quickly interrupt this episode to ask you if you've been curious what it's like to work with a private business and marketing coach. If you're a business owner and you feel like your marketing plan is all over the place, you haven't figured out your search engine optimization or your SEO strategy, you have no idea what your social media marketing plan is, and you are not doing so well on the self-express content front. I call these the marketing trio. It's the three S's, SEO, social media, self-express content. And by dialing in all three of these pillars, you too can get more visible, generate more income and increase your lead generation where you're actually turning your followers into paid clients. And you're constantly bringing new people in at the top of the funnel. If you're not familiar with my work, I am a private business and marketing coach, and I have spent the last 13 years working in the marketing industry, many of those years doing consulting with clients like you who want to finally get more visible and get in front of their dream clients. So when we work together, you have me for four months as your marketing partner. I'm going to do a full audit of your business put you on a private project management software with me, and then based on your innate skill sets, based on your strength, based on where you are curious and where your dream clients are paying attention, we're going to build out a custom marketing strategy. We're going to track it. We're going to optimize it. And by the end of the four months, you have a plan that works and you're seeing results. It's truly incredible. Christina Crook just landed a $100,000 consulting contract after implementing just one of my marketing strategies. Emily Fraser signed multiple new clients in one day after just one month of working with me, and now she is having consistent five-figure months. And Natasha, she started leveraging her email list in December, and 30 days later in January, she pulled in $25,000 from one single email that we created. So these results are possible for you too, but don't sign up yet. Just head to kelseyriddle.com and check out how we can work together, learn all about it, make sure you feel informed. And if you'd like to book a discovery call with me, just fill out the application on my website. We can get on the phone and see if it's a good fit for you. So anyways, I don't want to interrupt this episode anymore. I cannot wait to work with you to support you and getting you more visible and let's get back into the show. Ryan, welcome to the Visionary Life podcast. I'm super excited to sit down with you today. And although we only spent a few short days together, you really inspired me to take drink making, cocktail making, coffee sipping, the art of storytelling around food and beverage so much more seriously. And I'm really excited to share your enthusiasm and your passion with our listeners. So first of all, thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you so much Kelsey. It's an honor to be here and I I really appreciate that. You know all of these things are things we do every day anyways. So a huge part of what I love to talk to our guests about is if you're going to drink coffee and cocktails anyways. Why not be mindful? Why not be in a place of openness and a place of I'm going to really experience this thing and and take it for everything that it is. Uh, And so that's a huge part of our work. You know, it's just getting people to be more excited about the things that they are consuming every day anyways. And and how can we shape uh, a more beautiful tradition with that in your life?
0: Mm, That gave me the best visual because I was thinking like there are really two opposite ends of the spectrum in consuming food and beverage. You could do it completely passively. You could have your head down in your phone, just literally like shoving chicken wings in your mouth and not (laughs) thinking... (laughs) about the plate and the experience and who designed it and where it came from. And then there's the whole other end of the spectrum, which is people who they go out to experience the magic of someone like yourself, who's put intention and thought and who's connected with the farmers and who's concocted something that's meant to be an experience, not like chug your coffee and go. (laughs) I'm curious. What were some of the things that got you interested in the art of drink making and creating experiences for people? How did you get into this line of work?
1: Super good question. Um, I was like very much like an Olive Garden, Texas Roadhouse. It's the <laughs> fanciest meals in the world guy um, until like <laughs> sophomore, junior year of college. You know, it's like I thought like oh man, that cinnamon honey butter at Texas Roadhouse does not get better than that. Uh, And really, when I started learning that food was this really beautiful, expressive, crazy thing um, was junior college. I was uh, in a relationship with a girl from New York, and her mom was a huge foodie and loved to cook, and her dad was a bibliophile and loved wine, um, and... I got really, 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 really deep into the culture through them, of them exposing me to these people who were very, very thoughtful about the things that were going on, on the plate, and and it was really the first time that I had ever been exposed to restaurants of a caliber, um, you know, above this kind of. Traditional understanding of of going out to eat, you know, places where there was enormous amounts of intention being placed behind each element on the plate. What is the plate? You know, what's the table that the plate is on? Right. All of these details have been thought about, and it was the first time that I had really ever been exposed to that level of conscientiousness in food and drink. Uh, Fast forward a few years, and I'm living in Door County. Uh, and I had been an opera singer my whole life, and a musician and a storyteller in, in that medium. And I started watching a show called Chef's Table. And I was up there, I was living alone, it was winter Indoor County, you know, population 600 people, median age, probably 65. Uh, and, and I'm managing a team of people older than me um, just feeling very isolated and, and kind of like confused and like okay what, what where do I want to go what do I want to do I know that I have this love for storytelling and I hadn't really identified that as a core love yet I, I just saw it kind of as this love for music and and for for prose and and I started watching a show called Chef Table. Just as like a like a winter desperation thing. Like I gotta fill the time. I got a projector. I'm gonna put this up on my wall and, and watch some TV. Um, and the first episode I watched was this chef Dominique Crenn, and my mind was absolutely blown all over my apartment watching this episode of this woman who. Engaged in this practice, which she called poetic cuisine, um, and and her menu was a poem. So every course was a line in this poem, and the experience at Atelier Cren was walking you through this fourteen line poem. You know, except you were eating and drinking each line of that poem. And uh, by the time I got to the end of this episode, I was just flabbergasted. I mean, my jaw was just on the floor. I I was I I had no idea. That people did this, right? That there was a, there was a, a community of people who went to this extent of intentionality um, to create food and drink experiences, and my mind was, um, yeah, completely numbed to this to this unbelievable conception. And so I binged Chef's Table. I probably watched that whole series. All of the seasons, probably six times now, um, and, and just try to soak up as much of that energy and that inspiration as I could. Uh, and and that was really my first exposure to really storytelling through, through food and drink. And and the next chapter for us was, okay, now how do we do this? You know, how do we take this and translate it? I, I thought about opening a restaurant. I realized I really couldn't cook, um, <laughs> but I, I loved espresso and I loved coffee. And, and so that was really kind of the beginnings of the discourse story is how do we take these practices that are being put into use by chefs like Dominique Crenn and Glen Achatz and uh, Massimo Bottura and and translate that into an everyday democratized coffee experience and, and can that be done should it be done how is it done uh, has really taken over the last seven years of my life.
0: Mm, so cool, and you know, there's a couple of things I want to double tap on there. First, I think it's really interesting that. By watching Chef's Table, like you really were expanded as to what's possible, right? 100%. And whether that's the people we hang out with, maybe you don't have people in your life that are truly allowing you to express yourself and it's turning on Netflix. Maybe it's the podcast you listen to, but I think there's so many clues for what we're meant to do in life just by following our own joy. Because I'm sure there are people who watch Chef's Table and they don't see the storytelling. They don't see somebody who's like, wow, that is really interesting what this chef has created. But here you are watching it going, my God, this is like, the blend of everything that I didn't even know was possible in building a career. So I love that that inspired you. I'm curious as you're watching this show, are you thinking I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I know how to open a business or were you like, I don't really know why I feel like I'm about to jump into this world of entrepreneurship. Like were you skilled in running businesses or was this going to be a brand new venture for you?
1: A little bit of both. You know, I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've met in my life were like absolutely fucking crazy from both. Yeah. Um, there, there's just a vibe um, and, and there's a, an inclination inside of you where you know usually from a relatively young age, in my conversations with entrepreneurs, um, that you are not meant to work a traditional job or within a traditional framework. Um, there, there is some sort of innate understanding internally that there is something else out there for you. And, and I had that from a, a very young age. You know, my first ever quote-unquote job was I ran a recording studio out of my parents' basement um, after it flooded. And I probably recorded 30 or 40 different musicians from the Milwaukee area for about two years. And you know, all my buddies were at Carver's and I was trying to run this little recording studio as a you know, 16, 17-year-old kid recording your 30, 40-year-olds uh, coming down and playing screamo albums in my mom's basement. Uh, it, it was, it's kind of always been something that's been in me is, the, is this knowledge that I am here to bring unique and engaging experiences to the world. I am here to create things that didn't exist before. Um, how to actually put that into a structure that is a sustainable business model for a grown adult and, and more so now with my current company, 15 grown adults, um, you know, is a totally different thing. Right. And and I don't think anybody at any age is ever really prepared with that knowledge, regardless of whether or not you went to business school or your dad went to business school. Like there's a, there's so much learning that goes on on the job in entrepreneurship about how is it actually done? And I think that a lot of people, the reason that they are stopped from putting beautiful things into the world is that they think about it too much. And they think about all of the little things that they don't know how to do. And they let that stand in their way of doing the thing that they do know how to do. And and so something that I found to be extremely helpful for me is focus in the beginning on how do I do the thing that I know how to do super, 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 super well. And how do I stabilize all of the things that maybe I'm not as comfortable with so that I can at least be sustainable for myself in the short term, right? And then once you feel sustainable, then you think about, okay, how do I level this up? How do I bring one more person into this fold? And then how do I bring two more people into this fold? And then eventually you've created systems for yourself where you have a dozen plus people, a hundred plus people, a thousand plus people in, in, in the size of your enterprise where you feel really comfortable running a business of that scale. Yeah, but, you know, if you had asked six years ago, if I felt comfortable running a business with three locations and 15 people, I would have said, absolutely, fuck no. No way in hell. Uh, I knew I wanted to get there, but I knew that the first step for me was just putting something into the world and and hoping that it comes out. you know mm-hmm. and and so for me, it's been a lot of learning on the job, <laughs> making mistakes, realizing those mistakes, learning from them, and moving forward. and and I think in entrepreneurship, you know, you have to be super, super, super comfortable with failing forward because you will, fail many 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 times in these little little ways and, and to me it's never truly failure until you stop trying like when you stop applying those lessons and stop working towards betterment then you failed you know but until then all of the stumbling blocks all of the life lessons all of the learnings all of the oh man I shouldn't have done that that way it's it's all little steps towards having this beautiful vision come into the world and and becoming very comfortable with that process of understanding where you went wrong, refining, uh, and, and then applying that and moving forward, I think is quintessential to the journey. So yeah. I was not prepared at the beginning. I had a, a, a journey and that I wanted to follow, but I've, I feel like over time, I've really sank into that understanding of what does it mean to run a business instead of mm-hmm. to run a vision? and And those are two different things. And I think a lot of us get too intimidated with the business part that we don't even put the vision into place. And I found if you put the vision into place, you'll figure out the business stuff. It might take some time. you know. As long as you have a plan on, on the front end where you're like, okay, I think this will work, you know, which is what we had. We had shoddy projections that I think we threw out after six months. Uh, but you know, as, as long as you have that plan that you're like, okay, I, I, I'm pretty sure this can work and you work for it relentlessly, it works out more times mm-hmm. than it doesn't.
0: Well, I want to talk about your vision a little bit. And as you know, the name of this podcast is Visionary Life. And you kind of nailed it when you said that entrepreneurs, especially visionary entrepreneurs, we always feel like we're misfits in a defined box. And we yeah. get all these ideas and we're always like looking at the world thinking I could do this better. or I want to start this. And I know for you... You have described Discourse Coffee as funky and out there and surprising and weird and fun. And you have this combo of words of liquid storytelling that you've really brought into your work. So as you are in the early stages and starting to vision how you're going to do a coffee shop or a space differently, were you ever worried that maybe this wouldn't take off because there's a lot of coffee shops out there, but most are just trying to serve you a commodity and it's transactional, right? And then maybe there's some that have cool music, good vibes, but you kind of pushed the boundary a little bit, at least compared to what I've seen uh, in my time going about Toronto and Ontario and Canada, looking at all the coffee shops here. So I'm wondering like, did you know this was gonna work? Did people ever doubt in your vision? And if so, how did you continue forward?
1: Uh yes, absolutely to the doubt. Um, uh, and I still <laughs> don't know if it's gonna work, Kelsey. I'm seven <laughs> years in, right? Like I like feel that. Yeah. <laughs> every day, right? You wake up and you're like, oh man, I hope people come today. And then I hope people come tomorrow too. And then I hope people yep. come the next day because uh if they don't like uh, i gotta fire 15 people right like like every day right that, yeah that's just like part of being an owner i think and and i i honestly don't know if that ever goes away no matter how big your company is so you, even if you have a, a million employees you know i don't know if the if that person the ceo of apple is like oh man what if people stop buying an iphone smart that would suck huh yeah you know yeah. like the, there is i think almost always this like inclination of man i really hope that this works <laughs> you know and, and every level up that we've done every new location every new concept right it's it's always a you're throwing a dart at the wall and hoping that it sticks in something. Um, and, and so i've i've never really known you know when we yeah. first started that first year there was so <laughs> so much doubt and a huge part of it was we were entering into this culture this third wave coffee culture you know which was very defined by regimented, accepted, professional routine. This is the way that we make good coffee. This is the level of extraction we should be seeing. This is the time in and time out that we should be getting for a properly extracted V60, right? It was a very tightly regimented culture. And, and the people who were being celebrated were the people who were doing the best job of translating the work of a roaster to a drinker. And, and that is still kind of the be-all end-all of third wave coffee. So here comes this dude uh, in the middle of the woods, he has four months of experience in coffee and, and he's taking these beautiful coffees and to many people fucking them up, right? Like taking this beautiful yeah. coffee and and throwing syrup and bitters and essences and shaking it and serving it in a coupe glass. And and right. so there were a lot of people who came in and, and were just like, man, I... I really have no conception of what you're doing here. And I don't understand it. Like, I, I just want a cup of Ethiopia. Like, I want it to be juicy and I want to leave, you know, like, and and over the years, what we found was, you know, for every one person maybe who felt that way, we would find two or three people who came in and they they would say, hey, I've, I've never seen anything like this. I'm so happy that I know that this exists now and keep going, you know. and And, and those people were the people that, you kind of just have to choose to listen to, right? The, the thing that I always tell people in entrepreneurship or in any vision-driven enterprise is you have to want your vision so fucking bad that you cannot possibly imagine a world without your vision in it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is the way that you will succeed because you will come against so many stumbling blocks, you will come against so many naysayers, you will come against people who do not understand your vision. And and for me, in, in my own conception of uh, being a visionary, right? If, if, if I don't have at least one person to be like, dude, that vision sounds fucking stupid, then I am not dreaming big enough, right? Like if if it is easy for people to understand immediately, what is the point of being a visionary? Like uh, to me, the the point of being a visionary is to put new, fundamentally new experiences into the world, right? And and so that is so much of what I try to do with my work. Does that make it easy to be a business owner? No, because every time that you put something into the world, you're having to retrain people on the fact that this is a thing that exists and this is what it costs and this is what it's worth. And you're you're assembling a culture from, from the ground. But to me, that's also the the beauty in it. That's the value in it, right? Like when you have an experience at discourse, it's a fundamentally different thing than when you can get off elsewhere. And to me, that's so special because when somebody comes in and they resonate with what we do, right? that's our people. They see that vision. They relate to that vision and they, they feel seen and they feel heard and they feel maybe for the first time, like, damn, like I've been waiting for this forever. Like I've been trying to find this thing and I haven't been able to, and here it is in front of me. And, and I love this. And and how much more valuable is that than, hey, it was another cup of coffee. You know, like, oh, it was just like the other shop that I had. It was a great cup of coffee, but you know, I could get this cup of coffee just about anywhere. Uh, that to me is so much more valuable. And, and I will gladly, gladly uh, take the sleepless nights, take the, you know, this is never going to work. Take the, you're stupid for doing this to beautiful coffee for those one, two, three, four moments with people where we fundamentally reshape the idea of what's possible in coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a quintessential part of, of being somebody who is putting unique visions into the world. Um, but I have never, I don't think, met a visionary who's like, yeah, I knew from day one, it was going to work and it's worked. Like that's just not how it happens. You know, mm-hmm. it, at least in my experience.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you share that because I know that, For you, like you said, one person would come in and say, this is weird, I just want my $1 coffee cup from Dunkin' Donuts. But you then get a few people coming in saying, whoa, I don't know what this is, but it's remarkable. And it sounds like those were the people who saw so much value in what you guys were doing, that it was them who actually spawned more word of mouth marketing. And I know that you said at one point that, you actually didn't do any advertising for the first few years of being open, and you instead were getting word of mouth. And I'm assuming there was no strategy per se behind word of mouth marketing, but by you guys being different, maybe a little polarizing, you being the visionary you are and doing radically crazy things, and we'll have to get into some of the unique combos that you guys would put out there, but that is enough to drive word of mouth marketing and for people to leave your shop and say that was totally fucked up i don't know what i just yes. drank <laughs> but it was amazing yes. and then they send 10 of their friends 100%. so i'm curious what like was that how you kind of grew the shop from the ground up yes. was it because you were creating remarkable experiences that people couldn't help but talk about
1: I think that's the the two biggest things for me that I've that I found in my business, right? Is one, create something that people want to talk about. That that's that's huge, uh, and that's why we call it the shop discourse. You know, we yeah, we wanted to start oh, a new yeah. conversation around coffee. Um, and for us, you know, I when you th- when you look at a coffee business model, right? Like I and I, <laughs> knowing more about co- business now than I did you know seven years ago when we started this whole thing. I I think about our original. Supposition of what we wanted to do, and I'm like, man, we were fucking nuts. And my dad was stupid for giving me money for this because it makes zero sense. You know, coffee is a location and convenience business. We were located in the lower level of a derelict shopping plaza in a town of 600 people, where the average age was 65. You know, I mean, there was there was nothing about this that made sense. Zero. We had zero street visibility. We had zero street signage. Um, there there was zero things about this that made sense. Um. But we had a vision and we had an idea for what we wanted to bring to the world. And actually looking at it now, you know, in retrospect, all of that played to our advantage, right? Because now you have customers coming in and they're they're saying, none of this makes sense and I love it. You know, like like, uh, this is a coffee shop that feels like a speakeasy in a courtyard in the middle of nowhere. Why is this happening? How is this happening? Who are you and why are you doing it here? You know, like uh, all of this, it added to the mystique. Right, it added to the story, you know, they weren't like, oh yeah, it's on the main drag of Sister Bay. You know, when they tell the story of the space, they're like, oh yeah, you have to get out of your car. And it's a little bit of an effort to find it, but then you find it and you walk in and you're transported back to this like speakeasy basement from the eighties. And then the drinks are super modern and right. So we provide a story for them to tell. We write the story and then we just allow them to share it. Uh, So the, the first thing is it has to be something that people want to talk about. The second thing is once people come in, because they've heard about it, the product has to be good. It's, it, it's, it is those two things, really. You know, it's number one, get people there through an interesting story. And number two, when they come, give them a great experience. You know, and, and that's kind of always been our ethos. And, and to me, it is, is as simple as that. You know, create something that people want to talk about. And then when they come, don't let them down. You know, live up to that expectation. Um, and, and I think following those two tenets, you can do crazy things just about anywhere. You know, I, I've had clients who, you know, now are, you know, I'm in a bad location. It's like, okay, if you're in a bad location, that means that you have to think twice as hard about how you're going to get people here. It doesn't mean it's impossible. Actually, I think in a lot of ways that can play to your benefit. You know, you can play to that exclusivity. You can play to that destination. You can play to that journey, um, but it, it takes that that extra little vision of how do we make this so exceptional in whatever way you want it to be, whether that's the yeah. community or the drinks or the event programming that you offer or the coffee club that you have every month, right? Like, how do we how do we create something so exceptional that that people want to make the trip? Um, and so that's that's been a huge part of, I think, our strategy, if you can call it that, from day one, you know, is make an experience people want to talk about. And then when somebody comes in because they had it talked about to them, uh, don't let them down. And then they talk to somebody else about it. And then they talk to somebody else about it. Um, and, you know, we grew in a little space in Door County from just me and my original partner, Chris, to, uh, you know, five or six people every summer who would come up and have to work this workshop. Um, and it was incredible little learning experience for all of us you know how do you build something from nothing in an old laundry room in the the middle of an old shopping complex in sister bay
0: there's so much to unpack there i i feel like this really reminds me of a few different marketing lessons that i've learned like number one no amount of marketing can sell a bad product or it can sell it once, but people won't come back. So I know you take so much pride in like serving a product that won't let people down and that they won't forget because they've never had it before. So I think that's so important. And then the other thing I was thinking about too, is what you said about Even if you have a shitty location or you feel like you have a lot of excuses as to why people aren't finding you, you just have to get more experimental and shift your mindset to say, you know what? Like people do want to come here or they will find us because I'll figure out a way to reach them and we'll figure out a way to make this part of our story. So like you have to flip your mindset. If you feel like you have factors working against you in business growth, which We all do, right? Like there's always going to be something that's like, well, I don't have a big email list or well, my website's still being built. Okay, work around it. Figure out how can you still get out in front of your people and still encourage them to shop Your product. So I love that it's like a no BS approach. Like, you were in a mall.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, you just got to go, right? Like, that's the thing for me. It's like, I think in entrepreneurship, the only way forward is being action oriented. You know, I I think that we can be thinkers to an extent, and that's great. It it is great to be a thinker. But in order to be an entrepreneur, and I I think the difference between a dreamer and an entrepreneur is that a dreamer is purely thinking oriented, and an entrepreneur is action oriented. And, And if you get to a place of being action oriented, um, it makes life so much easier. You know, it, you sign the lease, right? Like, and that was it for us. It was like, we're, we're just going to fucking sign the lease. Like I, I could think about this all day and overthink myself out of this space. Right. But if I just sign the lease, what that does for me is it makes me have to make it happen. Right now, now I have this commitment. I got to do it. I got to figure it out and you will. Right. And, and and that's the thing that I think is so remarkable about humanity. Um, and, and I, I know you feel this way. I know everybody who we were on the retreat with feels this way, right? There's, there is nothing inherently special about me that makes me more capable of doing what I'm doing than anybody else on earth. The only thing that is making me the person doing what I am doing is that I'm actually doing it, right? And, and so I truly believe for anybody, anybody, if you have a dream, if you have a vision, if you have something that you are looking to achieve, start, start. You know, whatever, however big that start is, just start on that path you are amazing. People are amazing, right? And we have a capacity to rise to whatever occasion we need to, provided that we need to. You know, as, as long as we give ourselves permission to not rise to the occasion, to not fulfill our potential, to not create our vision, we will not. Because it is far, far easier to not. As soon as we put ourselves in a position where there is no turning back, right? And, th- and there's this great you know, parable of the Greek army who would always, when they sailed off to a new battle, they would burn the boat once they landed because they knew that if there was an option for retreat, it would be far harder for them to process victory. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, I do that same method. Like for me, I'm a burn the boats guy. If there's an opportunity in front of me, I'm going to pursue it fully. And I'm going to put myself in a position where I have to make it work. And the human capacity to make it work when you need to make it work is startling. The, the first couple of times for me that I launched concepts and I, I put myself in that position, mm-hmm. I started to learn of my own potential. You know, I was never a wildly self-confident guy. There's still some things in my life that I'm unconfident about, but I've garnered this incredible professional confidence just by doing the damn thing enough times to realize that I will figure it out. You put me in a situation where I have my back against the wall, I'm gonna figure out how to slip, right? That, that's just the reality of what I am capable of as a human. And I believe that about myself only because I have put myself in enough situations where I've had to do that, you know? And, and I think all of us, all of us are capable of that. So I, I think really it's, it's believing in that, that capacity to, to do great and beautiful things, putting yourself in a situation where you have to, and then figuring it out, you know, and, and that's kind of the entrepreneurship journey for me. It's put yourself in the position where you have to figure it out and you will figure it out. We, we have an amazing tendency as humans to just jump and, and, and make that leap successful.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and I think the word action is such a differentiator between people who advance yeah they might fail yes. every you know second, third fifth time they take action but we still move forward and like you said earlier you fail forward whereas yes. the person who like goes into a dark cave tries to get everything meticulously right before they've even communicated their idea before they've even taken the first step yes then they come out yes. of the cave and they're like, okay, I'm ready, but nobody's listening. They have no feedback. They have no market research. And then it doesn't take off. And they've spent all this time trying to be perfect, but they've missed the interactive element of like, you gotta like, put ideas out into the world and see if people catch them and you need to be out in the world looking at, okay, what idea yes. am I getting from my life today? Yes. Or I thought I wanted to open a shop in this mall, but I walked in and I got a bad vibe. So it's like 100%. You know, interact with the world. And yeah, that involves failure. It's part of being a business owner, but that also helps you to learn what you do want to do and to build confidence because you took the action, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't, but you learned a lot from it and then you take the next action. So I think that's so
1: vital. 1,000%. Can I make a weird analogy?
0: Yes, go for it.
1: I think about this stuff a lot as like, almost like raising a kid, right? And if if you make the decision as a parent that you want to have a baby, okay, like you're going to have a baby and you might want to know the gender and then you're going to like paint the room and, uh, you know, buy some clothes for the first six months, right? But there was no point in buying that baby's three-year-old outfits and, you know, picking out their school district, right? Like, Like, because there were so many things that could change between that first moment of birth And that three year old and that six-year-old and that 12-year-old and that 18-year-old, right? But and and that is the same for me as as a business, right? Like you have the child, and then that child in a way forms a relationship with you, right? And and, and that relationship is actually what comes to define the clothes that you buy at age three and, and, and the school that they go to at age six. Like maybe they express a lot of creativity, right? And so you want to put them into a more creative school than you thought. And and I I find that with my business very much over the years that I've cultivated a relationship. With my business, right? And and in that relationship, there is a give and take. There are times when I say, Hey, Mr. Business, Discourse, I want you to wear this outfit to school today. And there are times where Discourse tells me, and, and the people who come to us, and the staff and, and, and the people who write about us, and they come to me and they say, Hey, this is what we are getting from this experience this is what we want to see more of from this experience and you adapt and you play that relationship between you and the business so trying to plot everything out at the beginning is like trying to dictate what your six-year-old is going to wear before he's born it it doesn't actually make any sense really what you need to do is is have the kid and let him be a kid and then when he's six-year-old you're going to figure out okay what do you want to wear buddy you know, like what what feels the most comfortable to you? Where where do you want to go to school? Right? Like and, and that to me is the same as as building a, a company. It's yeah. you put the vision into the world, you take that action, and then you communicate you have this communion with it. Where it's it's informing you what it wants to be and what it needs to be and where it needs to be and you're informing it and where you want to shape it and where you want to take it and it's that relationship to me that's been the most vital you know the amount of pivots and directions and language changes and uh, vision changes and visual changes that we've had over the last seven years with discourse and the more that I learn about the field the more that it it really dials in this idea of okay what are we doing and and what is my mission you know when you're doing something that's visionary a lot of times people you don't even know you know, like I, I don't even really know how to describe this thing you know it's like we do a thing it's kind of in this place you know and, and and over time I think it really in that relationship starts to crystallize so that's that's like a it's a weird analogy but it's something to me that's like helped me to kind of think about Okay, when I'm starting a new business, I don't have to know everything right away. And that's fine. You know, we just have to take the steps towards getting there. And once this little baby, you know, feels comfortable and confident and we're sending him off to school, you know, like then we can make sure that he's making the right friends and and that he's in the right school district and, you know, that people have a, a good time seeing him and hanging out with him. Right. But first, I need to put it into the world before people can interact with it.
0: Well, as you're telling this story about business and how it's about cultivating a relationship with your business and iterating on version one and version 100, I'm actually thinking about you as a drink maker and as someone who pushes the boundary on putting concoctions together. It's like, imagine (laughs) you just sat back and wrote out like this wild recipe and combination and every single time it just worked out great the first time and you didn't get feedback from sipping it for the first time or you didn't test it with your team and then learn from, Hey, this is a little bit too salty or Ooh, this flavor actually didn't go well. It's like, I don't know when you're making a new drink, how many different versions sometimes does it take in order for you to get that remarkable product that you're ready to serve? I'm assuming sometimes you get it on the first try. And it's like, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we launch things and it just clicks or a piece of content goes viral. Other times, You're showing up, you're doing it day after day. You're trying version one, version 20, version 30. (laughs) And then it's that consistency (laughs) and that commitment to our craft that eventually leads us to being like, this is remarkable. Now I'm ready to put it out into the world. But that came with a lot of iteration and a lot of quote unquote failure that you have to stick through and say, I can only go up from here. How do we optimize? How do we get better? How do we make this one percent improved from where it was yes. yesterday?
1: One thousand percent. I mean, I there are definitely drinks that I've done that have taken twenty or thirty times, and then there's drinks that I've done that have been two or three. You know, depending on usually the complexity of the drink. Yeah. Um, to me, what I part of what I'm passionate about with discourse is is sharing the behind the scenes of. The process of a creative right because so many people when they experience the work of a creative they experience the final product and and it's a very rare that you actually see behind the scenes of okay what all took place to get to this moment right here you know i, I always think about musicians and how they might record 40 tracks for the 10 that they put on their album right and all of those tracks that ended up on the cutting room floor or when you film a movie and you're 30 hours of film that are being cut down to two hours of actual content in the film, okay. right? There, there is so much that is left on the wayside in the creative process. And, and for me as a drink maker, it's a lot, you know, that we go through a lot of iterations and something that I encourage people to do anytime that they're out for food or drink is to be thinking about all of the facets of the experience. And it's a lot of times something that people just aren't, aware to be thinking about like it's, it's not even a matter of consciousness that we think about these things but if you're going to a great restaurant or a great bar every single element of that experience has been curated for you it's not just the drink right so when i'm dialing in a new drink there is the liquid of course the liquid has to taste good right but then there's also how does the liquid look how does the liquid uh, is it carbonated, is it rich, is it heavy? Um, is it going to be served up or on ice? What is that ice? Is it gonna be served on a rose ice? Is it gonna be served on a cube ice? Is it gonna be served on a sphere ice? Is it gonna be served inside of the ice and the customer is <laughs> gonna have to break the ice to get to the cocktail? Uh, is it gonna be served in a coupe? You know, am I gonna double strain it? Am I gonna add a foam on top? Am I gonna put a coaster under the drink? Am I gonna serve with a straw? Is it gonna be a Collins glass or do I want a little bit more weight to provide layering? You know, All of these thoughts, right? Are, all auxiliary to the liquid itself, but have an enormous amount of impact on the way that you experience the drink. And then there's the back end of it. How do I menu this drink? How do I describe it to people? What ingredients am I calling out to people when I drop this drink on the table? What do I want them to taste first? Can I put that in the aromatics, right? All of this influences the way that you taste, the way that you perceive. And if you are at a restaurant, the same thing, right? What is the cutlery? What does that look like, feel like in the hand? What is the plate? Is it handmade? Is it crate and barrel? There's, there's a very different feeling from those things, right? And, and so all of these things, things when you are out at a great food or drink establishment are being considered every single freaking element uh, from the lighting to the music, to the service touches. Right. And, and that to me is what is so unbelievably beautiful about not only drink making, but hospitality, but right? is this idea that there is somebody out there or a team of people, almost always a team of people, because this shit takes a village. Um, who are really thinking about this, you know, who are really thinking about from the moment you walk in this door, what is the feeling? How are you welcomed? When you sit at that table, how does the chair feel? How does the napkin feel? How is the silver oriented? Do you have a charger? Is there a water glass already on the table? Is there a light on the table? Is that light on or off? Do we do candles or fake or plants? But every single element of that experience has been curated for you in that moment to enjoy. And there is something to me that is so unbelievably beautiful about that when you can sit back and truly appreciate that understanding that every single part of this has been thought about by someone and probably too much, right? Mm-hmm. They probably went through like 50 different napkins to arrive on that one napkin that's at your table. And, and to you as a diner, that might be a totally irrelevant moment. You know, like you, you yeah. might not even notice that that's a thing. You know, Will Guidara had this amazing quote and Will Ghidara was front of house manager of 11 Madison park when they won best restaurant in the world and very much involved with nomad and, and wrote an incredible book called unreasonable hospitality that, Everybody should read Whether or Not You're in Hospitality. It's an amazing book about how we can just be better people to one another. Um, But one of the things he talks about in that book is when they opened Nomad in New York for the first time, um, they wanted it to feel like you were in basically the house of this nomadic traveling man, um, and you were kind of a guest in his home, right? And so they had this bookshelf, this big bookshelf full of old books, But they weren't just random old books. They actually went through and took the time and said, okay, this man, this is his hobbies. From these hobbies, what are the books that he would have collected? And uh, let's put those books on the shelf. And then let's build everything else around those hobbies so that it all makes sense. So if you see a little globe in the corner, you can also look at that bookshelf and see world atlases of Thailand and Vietnam, right? So it all makes sense together. And one out of maybe every 10,000 people will notice this. You know, it, it, it is not something that people are going to consciously perceive often. Um, but what Will says is, he says, you know, perfection is a feeling, right? And, and, and you will, even if you do not notice consciously that all of these decisions have been made for you, you will notice subconsciously that every element of the experience that you are having feels deeply intentional. And, and that to me is so beautiful and is so indicative of what I love about hospitality. There is an extraness uh, to a high level of hospitality that just lights my soul up. Um, and, and that to me is, I think, what is beautiful about the space of being a drink maker or being a hospitalitarian is this ability to iterate, to create beautiful things and then to share them with people in a way that is, deeply, deeply intentional and deeply, deeply iterative. Uh, so you, you got to launch and you got to feel all of this out, you know, like how, how does it mm-hmm. feel to be somebody providing that level of intentionality to people and, and sink into that feeling?
0: That's a good reminder to just be meticulous about our craft, because that is what differentiates anyone from anyone, right? If you feel like you're yes. swimming in a sea of all these competitors, Maybe you just need to look around at your service delivery or your product delivery and say, have I added that layer of intentionality that Ryan's talking about, which I know you do so, so well. And as we wrap up here, I know you do offer consulting, but on the other end, if people don't live in Milwaukee and can't come to discourse, you also have an amazing book called The New Art of Coffee, where I feel like every concept you have shared today really shines through in the stories you share, in the recipes you've created, the way that you're showcasing the art Thank of you. coffee. So could you, first of all, tell us a little bit about the book um, and then where people can connect with you and find you if they're interested?
1: Absolutely. Uh Quick quote off that last point that you made. I heard a great quote recently. It's, everything is more important than anything. And I love that quote because it, it, it takes a couple of times to hear it. But when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, like everything is more important than anything. And, yes. and it's every single little detail that, that needs to have that level of refinement to, to really have that beautiful product that you can share with your guests. Um, the book for me was this really... Crazy journey. Um, it took about three years. Originally, I had intended to just put out a little manual for professional boosters who wanted to make drinks the way that we make drinks um, and, and who didn't feel like they had the resources to do so. And when I started, I got started off cookbooks and cocktail books. And so I wanted to create a book for coffee and tea drink makers by a coffee and tea drink maker. uh, That was, how do we make drinks creatively in this space? And so the book is three parts. It starts with an introduction to coffee. This is no James Hoffman text. He is still the king of writing encyclopedic information about coffee. This is an introduction, a primer. Um, The second section is really about how we make drinks the philosophies, the techniques, the technologies that we apply at the bar to be able to do what we do and, and tell liquid stories. And then the third section of the book is 40 such liquid stories. Um, and and the stories that inspired them, the ingredients, the recipes, and really, really beautiful photography by my dear friend, Kevin Miyazaki, um, who's a Milwaukee-based photographer and just absolutely incredible at what he does. Um, very, very, very fortunate to have him shoot the book. So we worked with a literary agency called Indelible Editions. And Ended up selling through into Rizzoli. And the book is now available uh, globally, I believe. So, uh, William Sonoma here in the States uh, is a, a stockist, I believe, also in all of the locations around the world um amazon of course uh, many local booksellers will carry this book and it is distributed by penguin random house so if you go to your bookstore um, you know almost every local bookstore has a relationship with penguin um, so you know if it's not at your local bookstore and you want it to be you know stop on in tell the local bookkeeper hey could you get this title for me uh, there's a very very good chance that they can source it in uh, you can buy this on amazon but i'm always somebody who's like hey Get it local if you can, you know, have, have that local totally. bookseller, bring that book in and, and support the, the small business down the street. But mm-hmm. it is uh, very widely available now. And I think something that can be inspirational to people, even if you aren't looking to be a professional voice. You know, we really dialed this in for the home drink banker, um, who wants to explore a little bit deeper of intentional drink making in their own lives and and designed it to be extremely easy to use so even if you're coming into it with zero experience there are recipes that you feel like you can float into quite easily and start to build your confidence up until you're taking on the the big boys with a you know a day of prep uh, like matrix preference and holy pin and um you know we, we got a lot of recipes in there to, to warm you up
0: amazing we will link everything in the show notes to your website to your personal linkedin ryan thank you so much for being on the show today and we wish you all the best
1: of course kelsey it's been a joy thank you so much for having me
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show on either iTunes or Spotify. It just takes a second. And if you don't want to rate the show, you could also just take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your social media platform of choice, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode.